Are you an agent struggling to understand real estate economics? Would you benefit from learning how top agents structure their businesses? Then you've come to the right place. And welcome to another edition of the Nerdy Agent Podcast, where we teach you the basic economic and business principles you need to thrive in today's real estate market. I'm your host, Luke Pedersen, with my brothers and fellow nerds, Josh and AJ. What's going on, guys? I wanted to talk about the Advisory Realty Group basketball team as we're off to a two-week. We've been playing for two weeks now. Yeah, did you read the Athletic article they published about it? <laughs> no, I didn't. I actually don't pay for the Athletic. Oh, okay. Well, you should probably pay for it because they're com- they're taking a lot of stuff on our uh, games. I'm just following us. They're calling yeah. us the Redeem team because we lost in a championship last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell people about our start so far. Um, we beat a bad team and then we lost to a better team. <laughs> we are shooting so a lot far. of three-pointers. We're attempting them. Some are going in. New age basketball. More are not going in. Yeah. But we're at least playing the analytics and trying a lot of, to hoist a lot of shots and move pretty fast. We're one and one We play for the playoffs, so we're not expecting to be much above 500 during the regular season, but we are expecting them to win the championship regardless of how the regular Absolutely. season Absolutely. I will tell you guys, Holden, my son, woke up this morning and said, I heard you guys last last night. He had a little smile on his face. And I was like, yep. And he goes, but I'm still 1-0. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the coach because he missed awesome. the game. Yep. That's awesome. So they did, the they interviewed team? him in that athletic article. Oh, yeah. sure. Lots of good quotes. But mostly he just said that we've taken a lot of three-pointers and we got a lot of winded old dudes. And, they, and we need him there to win. Yeah, so let's get into the nitty-gritty here. The would you rather of the week, which I really like, Josh. Good choice this yes. week. Would you rather have a client work with a lender that you don't know and don't usually work with or a title company that you don't know or don't usually work with? Title company. Title company. <laughs> I was also going to say title dep- company. I mean, it depends if the lender's got good uh, history with other people that maybe you've heard good things from, but I've had more deals sour with a bad lender than I have the bad title company. I've never had a deal with a title company that I haven't known not work very well. Yeah, I mean, like stuff can come up, but it doesn't usually torpedo the deal. Where no. a bad lender can actually make it not happen. Exactly. Right. Yeah, so there's, there's, there's risk on both ends, but... Um, I mean, and that speaks to the point, like, you have to have good people in your sphere of influence with your clients, and your whole transaction needs to be with people that you trust. But if you have to pick the lesser of the two, I think the, the title company is a much safer bet. So it's a good would you rather, but there's no argument today. Next week, we'll be, we will be de- debating social media. <laughs> today, we are going to <laughs> talk about... a 14-hour podcast. <laughs> today, we're going to talk about current events uh, that have been going on in the real estate market and the economy in general, most specifically, the Fed's announcement and chat yesterday. And then also the news on some pretty big layoffs. We're mostly going to stick with the biggest real estate companies in that part. Let's talk about the Fed to start, give people an update. What did we hear yesterday from their announcement and kind of what that's looking like? Josh, you want to take this? I would love to take this one. So yesterday, the Fed raised the overnight rate by 75 basis points. This was in line with expectations and initially had a positive impact actually on the 10-year treasury. So the announcement came out, the little blurb was there, and actually people responded favorably to this. Um, and interjecting, they, they they officially raised it, but they had said previously that was the raise they were going to make, correct? That's, yes, and that's they, what I, they indicated. They, they indicated. don't always like say, we're going to do this, but everybody kind of understands what they're going to do. Correct. The big thing is that, and I think Josh will get to the second part of this, but the first part was they initially say they're making the, the, the announcement that they're raising 75 basis points, and then they release some sort of like memo, sure. right? And it says like, we see some things happening. Sure but we see things maybe slowing down a little bit yep. is what the memo said. I just want to make sure that we mention, make sure that people know 
people, the markets already kind of thought it'd be 75 basis points. And then they right. did what they thought they were going to do. Yes, and we saw the 10-year actually slide backwards at the beginning, which actually dropped mortgage rates. Um, and in case you don't know that mortgage rates and the Fed's raises don't actually work together, or they don't, they aren't, when they say 75 basis points, it doesn't mean the mortgage rates go up 75 Not basis points. Not directly correlated. If you don't know that, A, you haven't been listening to our podcast, so you should go back and listen to it because we've done it twice now. Um, but B, it's a, it's a really important thing to understand as an agent uh, because we've seen lots of agents actually after they did this again continue to be like, well, rates are going up again. It's like, well, it's not how it works. Um, the initial announcement was positive. I mentioned that. But the sentiment really quickly turned because after all that happens, then Jerome Powell, who's the head of the Fed, got on and actually spoke. And when he spoke, things got really negative in a hurry. Um, he talked about how persistent inflation has been in the economy. And he kind of said something along the lines of like, it's way too soon for us to say we're going to stop this process or we're hitting a ceiling, essentially. Um, of raising the overnight Of raising rates. the overnight rates. And that's the type of positivity people were looking for was like, okay, we're getting to the point now where we're maybe getting to the top because there's been this expectation that the overnight rate is getting close to the, the limit of where they were going to go with the year. So once he expressed that uncertainty about what was going to happen, we saw a huge sell-off in the stock market. We saw an increase in the 10-year Treasury yield, and then we've seen interest rates now rise uh, over the last two days, about 30 basis points. So it has been a negative sentiment since this announcement was made. And so for a little bit there, one would say, because I want to make sure we continue to tell agents that you don't just go on social media and tell people they raise it 75 basis points, so interest rates are going up. Theoretically, if that announcement was different, you could have seen them raise it 75 basis points and then have interest rates pull back because people felt good about where things were going. That's that Theoretically, was, that could that's have what that was what the initial reaction looked sure. like was what was going to happen. Yes. Which is good for people to know. And then, and I know we kind of touched on this already, but what, how has that changed from what they have said in the past recent meetings and announcements and what they're saying for the future, essentially? Yeah, I mean, it was, like Josh said, it was right in line with what we thought was going to happen. That said, if you, if you can backtrack back to, I want to say, June, um, traders were trading. And again, the traders are making bets on what the Fed's going to do all the time. Um, they were trading like the overnight rate wouldn't get above 3.5%, I think it was the number. I think now it's at 3.75 as it stands mm -hmm. today after this last raise. Now they're betting anywhere from 4 or 5 to kind of 5% is where it's going to end up before it starts to flatline or come back down. Um, so it's all about just forecasting into the future about you know, where we think it's going to go and what they're going to do. And, how that and, that's why, and that's why the announcement yesterday with his speech was so important because we're close to that top of what they had expected it would to end up at, right? And so everyone was kind of hoping we would hear this statement about it being a pause or hitting close to a pause on these raises. Mm -hmm. But Powell's comment was, the one I was looking for earlier, um, it's premature to even talk about a rate pause, a rate hike pause. And so that really threw a lot of uncertainty into the marketplace that the ceiling that we've been expecting and that's been priced into the rates that we're seeing is maybe not necessarily the realistic ceiling that we're going to end up with. And so they're probably, the, the markets are probably assuming they're going to raise this again next time they meet is kind of what it sounds like there. And, and what does that affect? Like, what are the predictions then for how that's going to affect the economy and the real estate market? I've seen 50 to 75 as kind of the next best bet. Um, and then followed by another 25 after that. I can't remember what the dates are. I think it's December and then early next year. Yep. Um, which would, you know, 50 and 25 would get us to that 4.5 number. Which is um, kind of that ceiling prediction of where people had said 4.5 to 4.7. And a lot of smart people I've talked to said, like, you know, the 10-year yields, like, can't, like, a lot of these treasury yields, like, can't move that much more sharply up without, like, some real damage. Like, that's, um, smart people i talked to say, like, that 10-year yield, it's above 4 already, and mm -hmm. it's really hard to see it 
moving way further up above that. Now, could that happen? Absolutely. But that's, again, the number we look at to determine like where we think the mortgage rates are going to go. Where could the 10-year go if we're at four and a half on the overnight? Are they saying anything that's, about that? That's the question, right? Like, does it continue to move or is it already all the way priced, priced into four and a half to five? I mean, the Fed, so if you look at um, one fun one that agents can look at, I think it's on the St. Louis Fed website, is the Fed futures rate. Um, and they have like Fed futures rate June 2023. And it shows you over time how traders are betting and where they think the Fed futures rate will be at that date. So like if you look at June, it might have been at 3.5. If you look at today, you know, at one point it was over five. Mm -hmm. uh, when there was the big bond sell off in the UK, it came back down. Um, when uh, I think one of the Fed chairs last week said something like, we got to be careful that we don't over tighten this. It came back down. So it's kind of been bouncing between that four, five to five um, is the prediction. Um, right now so if it's if if like josh was saying if it continues to be exactly what the prediction says then everything should be pretty stable from what it is right now right the lack of certainty is what's causing the inconsistencies in the pricing and inconsistencies in bond rates which is then flowing through to our mortgage rates so right now our mortgage rates are probably higher than they would be if we had more consistency on where this is going or more understanding of this going you want to you want to hear so, a crazy side note though on inflation and interest rates yes it's a really fun one i read it this morning um, I read the stupidest stuff. So in Turkey, they've had the same president or prime minister. His name's like Erdogan, okay. I think. Yeah, he's been there for a long time. He's um, very conservative, wants to push the economy to grow, um, seemingly doesn't really care about what's going on in the world. And like they're in a bad recession just like everywhere else is. Guess what their inflation just peaked, is up oh, to? Oh, gosh, I don't even know. 85% year over year. And guess what they just did? They, lowered they the, cut the Fed funds rate oh by gosh. a point and a half, and they want to do another 150 before they get it. Theirs, theirs was at 12. So a lot of these countries have really high rates because um, they have a really hard time getting under their inflationary control. I think mostly because there's a lot of United States currency that's moving through a lot of these countries, so it makes it kind of weird to predict how their dollars are, or whatever their currency yeah. is going to do. But yeah, they're at 85%, and they just dropped. Last wild. Week. Be happy we have Jerome Powell in our corner. Yeah. Because he knows what he's doing. Yeah. At least, I mean, it's it's a lot more stable than it could be if people were doing the wrong things. Exactly. Right. The other thing to watch that's going to be important in the future of this, right? Because like I said, there's a lot of uncertainty still because of the way that he's communicating about this. The CPI numbers come out on November 10th. If That's the inflation data for anyone who does not know. So if the inflation data comes out and looks positive, what that means is Powell's response is not going to have to be as aggressive to curb inflation. If we're seeing the actions having a reaction to the inflation numbers, the future actions are much less likely to, much more likely to be less aggressive, right? If the inflation number comes out and the inflation's really bad again, you're more likely to see them continue to push those rates up until they can figure Instead out- Instead of four and a half, you might see their prediction become five. Right, so it's, it's more about how is this actually affecting things? The CPI basically shows how the actions we've taken are actually impacting the actual market. We'll make sure the CPI is something we have on our docket here to talk about. You said November 10th. That's the next one. We'll report. make sure that that CPI podcast comes out right after the November 10th announcement. We can talk about all that so that people can get some more info from us. Yeah. And as a real estate agent, it's very important that you follow that stuff. He remarks on housing like all the time in a lot of his speeches. It's the biggest thing he talks about. It's almost. a big thing because it's, it is a huge lever in the actual inflationary numbers because the dollar amounts are so big yep. and the prices are what people call very sticky. 
because there's a lot of emotion involved in where you live and how much you're willing to pay. And I think the hope would be as we continue to do this podcast is that people are listening to it and they're going, oh yeah, this affects this, affects this, affects this. I actually understand how all this works. So they can put it together. They can articulate that. For the I know we talk about this experts. a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Like we talk about this over and over and over again, but hopefully it actually starts to crystallize as you listen. Exactly. To and this months. is going to be probably the most important thing you talk about with your clients over the next eight, 12 to 18 months at mm-hmm. least, I would think. Um, so getting out of the, the Fed and more into how this is affecting the real estate industry in general. We're mostly going to be talking about the biggest companies that do the most volume and have the most driver in what changes in the real estate market. Uh, the two biggest giants today are Zillow and Opendoor, in our opinion, um, and they have had some layoffs come out and that's kind of obviously is affected by the Fed, the economy in general. But um, tell us about the Zillow one to start and kind of what that means. Uh, I mean, yeah, they cut 300 staff. I think that's less than 10% of the company. It's like five. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty large company. Um, and again, it was from some non-tech position, uh, positions like Zillow Offers, Zillow Home Loans, Zillow Closing Services. I think they're seeing, you know, in those kind of um, roles, I mean, Zillow Offers has rolled up now, so it's kind of completely gone. I think mm-hmm. they're, they've finished unwinding the whole thing. Yeah. From a home loans and a closing services perspective, we're all anticipating that across the market, there's going to be less sales broadly applied. Mm-hmm. When you're that large of a company, that's going to for sure impact you in a pretty big way. So they're probably thinking, we're probably a little fat right now for what we actually are going to need next year. Um, and so we can cut some of those um, roles. That said, they actually are, you know, now that they're returning to mostly just IMT, um, internet media technology for you guys out there, um, that's that's their bread and butter. That's their Zillow Premier Agent, their Flex program, all that stuff. and how they're Showing time now. Showing time is now part of all that. Um, they're actually like, they lost money in the quarter. I think it was $51 million. Yep, um, but I believe their cash position going into the quarter was like $3 billion. Does that sound right? I don't know that number. It was a really big number from the Zillow Offers deal. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're in a pretty strong position. So they made their announcement and their stock went up, I think, 12% yesterday. Today. Or yeah. today, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It did. So well, they're, they're doing pretty well. Well, I mean, they, they, their stock jumps around a lot. Yep. But I think this news was relatively seen as them restructuring their business and rethinking things, right? Mm-hmm. There's been a lot of change within Zillow as they shuttered their offers business. Is it, has it been a full year? Close yeah. to a full year? Yeah, it would have been. It was, it was, it was Q, November. Q4 last year. In hindsight, now with the way that this market has turned, I mean, what Rich Barton said in that call when they shuttered, it was like, I don't want to do this. I've made a big bet here. But if this doesn't go well, it could jeopardize the entire operation. And that wasn't their goal. Was and to and right now, they're looking really smart for getting out then versus yeah. waiting another year because it could have been catastrophic at this point yep. in time. And I think the, the other cool thing, I was reading an article about uh, Rich Barton, what he was saying at their you know announcement and one of the cool lines i saw that he had was we're trying to make scheduling a showing as easy as getting a reservation at a restaurant yeah so he said and when you went to the exp con the zillow meetings yeah with the showing time integration with the premier agent and what people can do to schedule those showings is gonna be pretty awesome for consumers i mean it's a big reason why i've always said we love to partner with companies like Zillow because they want to make things better for the consumer yes they've never come up and said we want to make a bunch of money They've literally went on and started with, we want to make things easier and we hope in turn that we can return good returns to our shareholders. That's pretty much what they say every time. And sometimes as agents, that gets a little scary and it makes our lives a little bit more difficult. But the reality is that there's going to be change in our industry. So you might as well try to partner with people who are trying to make it better for the Mm -hmm. consumer. We've always said at the end of the day, as long as you move agents out there listening, as long as you move with where the market's going and you continue to try and provide the best service possible, because that's what's happening in every industry right now in the entire United States across the world, 
you should be able to still survive. Yeah, because that's and we should maybe caveat all of this with the fact that we are Zillow shareholders exactly. and we are Zillow partners and we are a little bit biased. But I this one to me did not strike fear the same way that the open door announcement was a little bit more. Let's get into open door. So open door also is in a position they've been laying people off. So talk about what's going on there. They cut 18% of their workforce. Um, The need was to reduce operating expenses. So open door has been burning cash now for a while. And the CEO. Mostly due to buying and selling at lower prices. And just the operating impact of their business. They're not making money, so they have expenses on the same time. They're just burning through the cash that they have, yep. but they're buying a lot of stuff and they're sitting on it. Mm-hmm. Um, the CEO and co-founder said that it's one of the most challenging real estate markets in 40 years, and they want to succeed in the long term. And they said for, in order for them to survive long term, they have to make a move like this now, as hard as it is, to ensure that they're able to re- get their operating expenses in line. What's wild about Open Door right now is their current stock price is below their liquidation value, according to a recent Seeking Alpha article. Which Interjection, what is a li- liquidation value? So liquidation is if they just sold all 17,000 houses that they have. The math on that was saying if they just sold everything they had, shut the whole company down, their stock would be valued at $3.44 per share. Interesting. Right now, their stock is at two forty-four. The reason why is because their operating expenses are so severe that they're, this guy's basically calculating out that the impact of their operating expenses is $1.44 per share in the negative direction mm-hmm. because they're burning over $900 million a year. Mm-hmm. And so it, to me, it's honestly a point where like, they have to make this move to survive. But in this downturn market, it, it is looking very, very scary for them in the next year. Um, the other thing that was interesting is they, uh, their internal shareholders, so their insiders, their CEO, their different members, they are selling, right? And that's normal. Insider selling is very common. You do it years in advance. You put stuff out. But no one is buying, even though their stock price is down 90% year over year. So I thought that was a really interesting stat that the inside people that are running the company are not trying to get more shares when the company's down 90%. Like sh- like buybacks and stuff. Yeah, right? just yeah. different things. So it's, I don't know, it was a fascinating article. Do, you, do we think like maybe they're going to do, I mean, if it gets to the point, I mean, could they partner with like an invitation homes and start just flipping all these things to rental properties. Like, it seems like that There's might be a good thing for them there. right now. I, I don't know. I've been a firm believer that that business at scale doesn't work over a long time in a market that changes. At least it's not looking like it does right now. Even when the world was going well and prices were appreciating, I had a hard time believing that sellers who could make more money selling it with a real estate agent would choose to sell to you for less money. Correct. So you could make money. In a good market... Sales. The sellers are incented to just go on the market and make more money. In a bad market, the sellers are incented to just throw their stuff at open door. And the stuff that ends up getting open door in a good market is the stuff they overpaid for. And the stuff they get in a bad market is going to be tough to sell. Exactly. So that's the that's the only thing. But I do think there is a pivot there that, and we see what is the big? It's uh, BlackRock. Yep. Yeah. They do a lot of that, mm-hmm. and I do think that there's an opportunity. I mean, we talk about that all the time. On we buy these properties, we flip them and then we rent them out and we don't have to worry about that back end sale then and there's a lot of cash flowing from a rental site still it's still working really well yeah. so that'd be an interesting pivot to me it, it would be BlackRock's not dumb though so they're obviously not going to buy all these at a, unless they get a good discount I think that some yeah. of these larger organizations bought when Zillow exited the market because they could make some money on it sure um uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a really tricky time for them. Yeah, we'll have to definitely revisit this on the Q4 and Q1 reports as well. Um, I wanted to pivot to and talk about price movements from a macro U.S. perspective. And then also, for those who don't know, we're in Minnesota, the Twin Cities area. Also, a micro Minnesota perspective as we are here. Because I think it's an interesting thing. We were, on the, we were actually talking to our, uh, on a Zillow call last night. And we were talking about in different areas, they're seeing massive 
price depreciation. Mm -hmm. Whereas in Minnesota, we might, we're seeing it a little bit differently. So I just want to talk about what that looks like. Um, and so you guys can just tell us more about it. I mean, I mean, yeah, like you said, out on the coasts, um, like I think San Francisco's already seen maybe like 8% pullback. I saw in one article um, in like two months. Uh, these, these more expensive homes, things tend to be a little more volatile in those areas. They also went up, by the way, by way more than they did mm -hmm. here. Um, we've seen prices come down in Minnesota by about the same as they did last year. So most people don't know that there's some seasonality to Minnesota pricing. If you look at a month over month median sale basis, typically home prices do go down into the winter. Um, from August to October 2021 and August to October 2022, we kind of saw about the same numbers. It was a couple percentage like points 2%, down. Something yeah. like that. Two point something. And, and I think it's important to note here that when we saw the appreciation here in Minnesota too, it wasn't nearly as much as what they no, saw. No, I mean like some, like Boise, Idaho had 50% a year, I think. Like mm -hmm. in some of these places, it was really raging. Yep. But the, the interesting thing um, also point out is like the reality is, is this like COVID world has shaken things up too, right? So house pricing is so inconsistent across our country where some places are really affordable, some places are really un unaffordable. We've even seen that within our local market. We're getting clients from California. Mm -hmm. We're getting clients from New York or New Jersey, right? That if you don't have to be married to a location the same way anymore, it does change the way people think about real estate in a meaningful way. And so that creates these, you know, leaving of these bigger cities, which changes their supply and demand dynamics and will change their pricing much more. Much more We're quickly. seeing a lot of relocation to Minnesota right now. I feel like everybody goes, wow, this is a pretty nice city and the prices compared to San Francisco are astronomically low, and it's and, not winter yet. And yeah, <laughs> yeah right. And real estate's <laughs> kind of a zero sum game, right? Like, yeah. everyone needs a roof over their head, so mm -hmm. they're either going to be renting or they're going to be buying. Um, we actually have seen population growth slow down a bunch during uh, the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So you're talking about the same number of people trying to find a place to put the roof over their head, right? Mm -hmm. So if we take someone from New York, New York loses somebody, and then we gain somebody. That's what I'm saying, Which, right? So it's just a yeah, that's how it works yeah. out. But right. to your point, Luke. Uh, swings are not as significant here. We're actually, I think, year over year up 6% still in pricing. So that 13% inflation we've been seeing mm -hmm. on our pricing has come down to about 6 but still it's it's been surprisingly neutral so far just based on the fact that there's not that much. Yeah, and not trying to pump the fact that the, the market in Minnesota is, you know, doing great from a seller perspective because stuff is still sitting a little longer. It's a oh, little yeah. harder to We're down 24% sure. pennies. I just think it's important to make sure we keep in perspective different states and kind of what that looks like. Absolutely. Um, and then that gets into the script of the week here. We're at Thanksgiving this time because Thanksgiving is coming up. You guys are not in Italy, but I will be in Italy for Thanksgiving. <laughs> so you will be with your families talking about Thanksgiving and food and someone's going to bring up all these price drop articles because the thing we do see is that the headline mostly just reads, prices slashed at X percent. So you want to hear a funny story? Yes, I do. I got invited to play golf and I was like, I'm too busy. I got so much going on. And my buddy responded with, have you not been reading the news? No one's buying houses. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And then I went and played golf because yeah. he convinced me. Yeah. But, uh, so, but they're seeing someone in the family, extended family sees these articles because there are out there and there are depreciation across the market. How can you explain the difference between Minnesota and the rest of the US or the coast or whatever that is to be the expert in the room in this situation? Yeah, I mean, you can say, uh, I mean, first off, I think we all know by this point that the article headline is made for you to click on it. It's not made for it to be, you know, it has to be factually correct, but it's not made to actually portray a certain to an extent. Way. Yeah, it's not made to portray data in a necessarily in a meaningful way. It's made for you to click on it. That's we can all recognize that. And so. I'm enjoying my turkey, Randall. Why do we want to talk about real estate? <laughs> <laughs> right. But again, right? So like they want you to click on the article. So 
when someone asked that, I would say, oh, you probably clicked on some article on CNN or Fox News or CNBC probably. It's like, oh, yeah, I saw the price. They're going crazy. It's like, oh, well, did they break it down by, like, different area? They'd be like, well, no, I just saw, like, they're coming down some places, 10%, this and that, and everything. It's like, yeah, like, prices are dropping. Did you know that prices in Minnesota pretty much drop into the winter every month um, leading, like, to December or January? Like, this isn't weird for us. Um, you know, I, I would say I'm anticipating prices to come down more than normal, given the interest rates. I mean, I'd be an idiot if I didn't say that. But we just, we've seen them be really sticky so far. And we have data for the closings all the way through October right now showing that it's been pretty much the same change in pricing as it was last year. You know, so that's like, that's how I would respond to something like that. It really hasn't happened yet, but if, if I got your phone number, so you want me to update you on how things are going in the winter, I'd be happy to do that. Um, but Always yeah, we, asking for the close. Yeah, we're anticipating that they're going to continue to drop like that. Yep. Like I, I think it, there's just too much math involved in that, and like the the change in monthly payments and stuff. But I would say like point to data. You know, you want info sparks. And the data is right there. And yeah, making sure you're educating people on where the data is coming from in that specific article. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I'd add on top of that, like the reality is actually we've seen more of just a change in the activity going on in our market than necessarily the pricing going on in our market. Yep. So. While people are feeling that the market has slowed down, that's actually true, right? Our pending sales are down 24% right now. In Minnesota, that's actually lower than it is a lot of other places, but we're just seeing less activity. Mm-hmm. And the reason why is because of all these interest rates and the way that they've gone. So, And every week, by the way, Jason sends us listing activity, and we're like listing about 1,000 less homes than we were at the same yeah. time last year every week. And that's because 40% of buyers have an interest rate under 4%, and the interest rate right now is 7.3 as we speak today. So... That gap is creating a lot of situations where people are just sitting still. Exactly. Well, that's all we have for you today on the Nerdy Agent Podcast. We'll see you next week. And remember, be better.